This is Marcus Lemonis, and you're listening to Five Questions with Dan Chabelle. You're listening to the Five Questions podcast, and I'm your host, Dan Chabelle. In fewer than 10 minutes, my goal is to extract the best advice from the world's smartest and most interesting people by asking them just five questions. My guest today is the star of CNBC's The Prophet and Streets of Dreams, Marcus Limonis. Marcus is not only the CEO of Camping World, but is an investor and champion of numerous small businesses with over $75 million invested. He recently added a business learning center to his website to promote the business education that we discuss in this podcast episode. In your childhood, your family supported you as you were starting your first business, and now you've pledged $50 million to support other small businesses. How did the support you received inspire you to give back to others? Well, I think it's deeper than that for me. I mean, at the end of the day, I've been very blessed uh, with some business success. And there's a number of people in my mind, uh, uh, females, uh, people that are black and brown that are not afforded the same opportunities. And I felt like in order for me to change the narrative of how people thought about themselves or other people, I needed to use my capital to sort of open up those doors and kick those doors down. My theory is a little different than most though, because I'm going to give you the help, but you have to still do the work. And so what I'm trying to create is a social experiment that allows people to feel like if the only thing you think is missing is the opportunity for capital or the opportunity to start a business or the opportunity to invent something, I'm going to give you that opportunity. What you do with that opportunity isn't up to me though, that's up to you. And so we wanna create a pattern of showing people that if they're given opportunity, what do people do with it? So it becomes a blueprint for the rest of society to look at it and say, you know what? There was some truth. Rather than speculating any longer, there's some truth in what people think. Completely. And so many people have not been given the opportunity. They might have a good Mm -hmm. idea. They might have the work ethic, but it takes someone like you to invest in them, to really believe in who they are and what they're about. And the COVID-19 pandemic has enriched major corporations while decimating small businesses with about 800 closures every single day. What tactical advice can you offer entrepreneurs who are trying to navigate through this crisis? Well, I think the 800 closures per day is actually a low estimate, to be totally honest with you. I think that's an estimate of businesses that we know are registered with the Chamber of Commerce. There's probably thousands of businesses that are closing. And what I worry about is, is the first wave of businesses that are closing ones that probably wouldn't have made it anyway. We know already that local and small businesses have a high hurdle to get over just to survive in normal times. I think this particular environment is weeding out a certain faction of people. But separate from that, nobody has really provided the financial uh, and the tactical support that these businesses need. And I know that everybody wants to point to PPP that happened earlier in the year. It was an awful process. And most businesses did not actually even get it. So this idea that it solved it was one thing. I think the advice that I'm giving people right now, it's batten down the hatches, pivot, try to come up with new ideas and creative solutions. But that advice seems like the same advice that everybody's giving, right? Like I could read that on in any newspaper or watch any show. The advice I'm telling people is, you need to have a plan B because there's a possibility that your business won't make it. And you you may need to go back into the general workforce. And if plan B isn't there, then what's plan C? And so most people are being given this rose-colored glasses approach that everything's gonna be fine and it's all gonna be fine. It's not gonna be fine. And so if you're trying to feed your family, there's only so long that your business is gonna survive and you have to know when to cut bait and move to plan B. That is my advice. It makes perfect sense. You have to plan. And even in the good times, you have to be thoughtful about, hey, if this doesn't work out, what else can we do? Or how can we leverage the assets and goodwill that we've created over the years in order to pivot into the next thing? 
and you and I are both believers in lifelong learning. What have you learned about yourself and American business during your experience hosting Streets of Dreams? I think the biggest thing is, you know, on the profit for years, we would go into a single business in a single town. And I wanted to really pivot and really understand how the American spirit was living in communities, in neighborhoods, in areas, in industries. And what I learned more than anything is how resilient the American entrepreneur is and how strong they are as a community. And so whether it was in the Diamond District in New York City and understanding the interworkings of that community or being with the fishing community in San Diego, I noticed that these businesses are a lot better off when they stick together than when they try to stand on their own. I also enjoyed profiling something bigger, something bolder, something more aspirational than a single business. And I think there's a way to inspire people and to give people hope by showing an area or a city or an industry that has really pivoted or changed over the years. And you've said that most of the businesses you've worked on don't work out even with your capital investment. What are the similarities between those that are successful and then the ones that fail? There's two common principles that make a, a failing business and a successful business uh, differentiate from each other. And one is greed. And the expectation that people are going to give you something and you're going to do nothing uh, in return for it. And I've seen that time and time again on The Profit, where I think the business owner thinks that I'm going to wave some magic fairy dust and then I'm going to do the work for them. And then if it doesn't work out, it's my fault. And I'm sure there are situations where I've made mistakes. I'm a big boy. I can own that. But in more cases than not, I notice that there's a definite difference between people who are focused on doing the job and appreciate the opportunity versus people who initially appreciated the opportunity, but now have a, a sense of entitlement. I think that's the first thing. I think the second thing is businesses think that the business is going to function the same today as it did three years ago or three years from now. And they forget to evolve and they become sort of victims of their own press and victims of their own success because they think that what works today is going to work tomorrow. And the evolution of, of American industry is that if it stays the same, it will die. That's a fact. Look at car companies, technology companies, retail companies. If it stays the same, the only thing you can count on is that it will go away. I agree. And that's why we have innovation in the first place. And it just feels yep. like every company is being impacted by technology. And therefore, what is the technology industry if every company is sort of in technology we will have to invest more into it? So that's, that's how right. I'm looking at it for sure. And the thing that you've really hit on in all your work is that it's about the people too. Like if you don't have the right attitude, if you're not willing to try, if you don't know how to build relationships, your business is not going to succeed. The, the human psychology is probably more insight into business than anything else. And yes, we can hire accountants to get the numbers right. We can get a better co-packer to make something right. And we can make the product better. And we can, you know, Six Sigma the process to death. We can do all those things. But even if all those are done, the, if the human psychology isn't right about yourself and your self-respect and the respect you have for other people, including the customer and your team member, it's not going to work. And I remember uh, something that happened to me yesterday where I issued a number of bonuses at my primary business, unexpected, just, you know, we had a good year, we gave some bonuses out and I had a team member send me an email telling me that it was a slap in the face and that team member no longer works here. And I'm not Darth Vader, but I am one that you, you shouldn't be celebrating uh, your success at other people's peril. And you shouldn't be worried about other people's success because you think it means your peril. And I think too often people get selfish in the work environment that it's okay that somebody else get recognized for their work. And if you are recognized, then just learn from that. And if you feel underappreciated, 
there's a format and a process. And I think business owners try to not be connected to their team members because they don't want to deal with the hard facts. I have a tendency to be too connected and it gives people a license to say stupid things. And those stupid things have consequences. It's just what it is. Makes perfect sense. And what's your best piece of career advice? Work for somebody else before you're going to start your own business. You have to know what it feels like to be fired or have the risk of being fired. You have to know what it feels like to, to uh, be scolded for showing up late or not completing a task on time. And you want to really understand the difference between a good boss and a bad boss. Because if you just start a business right out of school or right out of scratch, you don't really have any ex human experience, the human capital experience of understanding how people's minds work. And you know, you, you work somewhere and your boss is super empathetic and he or she has kids and you see the balance that they have. And you think to yourself, you know, when I'm a boss, I'm going to be more like Susie was. She was super compassionate. You come right out of school and you start a business and you don't know what it's like to be a family man or woman. And you don't know what it's like to have kids or what it's like to have debt or to have stress or to have sickness or death in your family. You don't understand all of that. And you go in and you sort of deal with your employees in a very technical, tactical manner as if they're just cells on a spreadsheet. And you end up finding that your retention of those people is de minimis and that the lack of retention or the attrition in the business leads to what? Closure, failure. And so you got to work for somebody else because you also can learn how not to behave, right? You see a boss that isn't sympathetic or empathetic or isn't interested in your success. You say to yourself, when I'm a boss, I'm not going to be like that. And I think it's important to have that. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, Marcus. To follow his journey, you can watch Streets of Dreams on CNBC and find him on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, where he shares segments from his shows, profiles, businesses, gives advice, and political views. Mm -hmm.